0: You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com.
1: Well, good morning, Calvary. If I have never had that chance to meet you yet, my name is Michael, and I serve as one of the pastors on staff here at Calvary. Whether you're here in the house with us, watching online, or any of the shelters, Welcome. You know, you've heard our our MCs just a few moments ago, That if this is your first time with us here this Sunday, again, thank you so much for taking time out of your Sunday morning. We know, I know collectively now with a four-month-old daughter that schedules and things can get hectic, but you've taken about an hour, hour and a half out of your Sunday morning schedule to gather with us, and we are so appreciative of that. If you have filled out a a Connect card, just wanted to remind you of some housekeeping items. If you did fill out a Connect card, after service take it out to our connection center we have a team out there that would love to just have a conversation with you that they would love to just hear how you heard about calvary put a name to a face and just ask how your experiences your experience was this morning with us and they also mentioned a a a gift for a first-time guest and the gift today is going to be our book of the month which is becoming a true spiritual community which looks like this. That is available at our Connection Center free for you if you're a first-time guest with us. If this is not your first Sunday with us, it is also available to purchase at our cafe for 10 bucks. Amazon's 15, ours is 10 in the house. And last housekeeping item, next Sunday we are kicking off a brand new series tackling an important topic when it comes to living in spiritual community. It's the blessing of different generations. We aren't just a church of one generation, but of all generations. And that's what makes Calvary so, so beautiful. That's what also makes the body of Christ so, so beautiful. Next Sunday, we'll start our series entitled Talking About My Generation, walking through the incredible teaching we see throughout scripture, how God made each generation to serve the others. And this morning, we are closing out our series entitled The Safest Place on Earth. You know, in today's busy society, most people, I would argue, really rarely slow down and develop deep friendships. Instead, they spend their lives disconnected from others, rushing through life content with short interactions and casual conversations. But what if we were to develop a community, and not just a community or any community, a spiritual community of people who walked with and supported each other through life's journey? And I would argue that that would be the safest place on earth and this morning is a a little bit different approach for me uh, being up on this platform. I'm gonna try to sit all morning with you and just have a conversation uh, around spiritual community being worth the risk. And just being forthright with you this morning, I kinda have an outline for my message and I'm gonna kinda chunk it up into three kinda sections but the very first part of it is I wanna go to a moment in human history and look at the start of the early church, which is found in Acts chapter two, verses 42 through 47. Then I wanna walk through the risks and the rewards we're involved in being a part of of a community such as that. And then lastly is how we can practically apply what we've looked at this morning to our own spiritual community today. But again, before we read those five verses in the book of Acts, uh, I wanna give you some, some background information or some context about the book of Acts. Whenever you read scripture, I I believe that context is key or that context is king. That if you don't know the context of what you're reading, sometimes you can pull things out of scripture that don't mean what they mean. So it's best that you understand some context around the, the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is the fifth book in the New Testament. It follows the gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then the book of Acts. The book of Acts was written by or authored by Luke. Who also wrote the gospel of Luke. And we know this because Scripture tells us Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And as much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who were from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you. And this is key to Luke and Acts most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. The book of Acts opens up in chapter one, verses one through three. In the first book, O Theophilus, there he is again, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And you notice there that Luke writes to the same individual, Theophilus, in both books. The very first four words in the book of Acts is in the first book. Some context to that, in the first book is speaking of the gospel of Luke. So we know that Luke authored both Luke and the book of Acts. Some scholars and some theologians would actually argue that the book of Acts is just a continuation of the gospel of Luke. And the gospel of Luke was written to explain how the good news of God's salvation for all people began through the power of the Spirit with Jesus in Galilee and in Jerusalem. And in the book of Acts was a continuation, again, of Luke's gospel. How the good news of God's salvation through Jesus was by the power of the Spirit carried carried by the apostles from Jerusalem to Rome. And again, we'll be jumping into the biblical narrative this morning. Acts chapter two, verses 42 through 47. And again, just to give you some context around just those verses, I just wanna kinda fill you in from Acts chapter one until Acts chapter two, verses, uh, chapter two, verse 41. There's some pivotal and and really key moments that happened in about a chapter and a half. Jesus has already ascended into heaven. That's, you see that in the opening verses of the book of Acts. That the 120 were waiting on the promise of the Holy Spirit in the upper room. The day of Pentecost had arrived. The Holy Spirit fell on the 120 in the upper room. They were filled with the Spirit. Peter gave an incredible sermon at Pentecost, and about 3,000 were added to the church that day. And as we open God's Word this morning, I'm gonna ask all of us to stand. Uh, I read out of the ESV translation, so that is the English Standard Version. If you have a hardback Bible with you this morning, or if you have a a smart device, whether that's iPhone, Android, whatever the case may be, if you wanna open the Version Bible app to Acts, Chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, whatever translation you read out of, whatever you best understand, I would encourage you to stick with that. But I'm out of the ESV. And God's word this morning says this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Before you seated, would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for another opportunity to gather God, we thank you for another opportunity to, to hear from your word. God, not to hear from me this morning, but to hear from you. Holy Spirit, I ask that if, there are anything, if there's anything in me that is standing in the way, God, I ask that you remove it in this moment, that people can see Jesus upon this platform and not Michael, that they can hear from you directly and not Michael's words, not Michael's thoughts or desires. God, in this moment, I'm asking that it's less of me and more of you. God, I, again, I thank you for the opportunity to Open your word. God, we ask that as your word is opened and communicated and proclaimed this morning, God, we ask that you challenge, that you change, and for some, that that you convict. God, help us to leave this morning different than when we came in. It is for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can be seated this morning. You know, I think one of the one of the biggest points of, of tension in our, our post-pandemic world is managing our schedules. I'm not sure if you feel kind of that tension or kind of feel that weight of, of managing your, your schedules. You know, f- for the last three-ish years, uh, we've had to deal with a global pandemic and, and some things happened where we were in quarantine, isolation, lockdowns, don't wanna rehash that. But it's really challenged us to manage our schedules now that the world is, for the most part, open. But I think that's, that's one of our biggest tensions as a society is, is managing our schedules. You know, we have so much jam-packed into a 24-hour day, a seven-day week, a 30-ish, give or take some months, and 12 months in a year. And if we were to step back and realize how much, and I say this, stuff that we have packed into our schedules, it might make us reevaluate how we prioritize time and not live in the urgent Just to give you some statistics on time, there's 8,760 hours in a calendar year. That might seem like a lot of hours, but the two biggest factors that play into that are work. Work, a normal full-time job is 40 hours a week. Some work less, some work more, but on average, people work about 2,080 hours a week in your job. Sleep is another big factor into your calendar year. They say on average, it's anywhere from 2,000 to about 2,600 hours in a year. Having a four-month-old, my wife and I don't get that much sleep anymore, but uh, that's about average, is about 2,000 to 2,600. And if you add that up, if you add your work and your sleep up, that's pretty much half of your calendar year already in work and sleep. That's pretty crazy. That's half your year, in two really key things, though, is work and sleep. And then you factor in if you have a family. If you're blessed to have a family, you have all the extracurricular, extracurricular activities that goes into having a family. If you have extracurricular activities for yourself outside of work, all of that time also goes into that as well. If you have kids, everybody that has kids knows that there's sports and dance and music and running places and and birthday parties and everything that goes on to, to having kids. And if you are a grandparent and you have grandkids, whether that's babysitting, taking them places, the list can literally go on all morning. You know, I think of that, that word stuff when it comes to our, our calendar. And I don't know if you're like me or not, but I think that the stuff can sometimes work its way into being a priority for me in my calendar, that I prioritize the stuff over other things in my calendar. And I think that the stuff is urgent. And as I'm just kind of processing, managing my own schedule and just managing schedules, talking about spiritual community today, I, I believe that we have this incredible slow dance with the risk of overloading our schedules, with the reward of actually fulfilling our schedules. Like we have this balance and this tension and this dance per se of, we have this risk of cramming everything into our schedules as much as we possibly can and the reward of it of actually completing or fulfilling our entire schedules. Like if we accomplish everything that is on our schedules, we've kind of achieved human bliss. Like we've, we've kind of made it. Like we've checked all the boxes of our day, of our week, of our month, of our year, whatever the case may be. Like we've hit all those boxes, you know. in, in my own personal life, I've kind of had to reconcile with this. But uh, I'm not the greatest at being organized. Just being uh, upfront with you, in my wife is the organized person in in our marriage. But when it comes to my own schedule, I've I've kind of had this thought. If I work from this time to this time and I leave at this time and don't hit any red lights and I, I don't hit any traffic, then I'll make it home for this and then this can happen. I don't know if you've ever experienced that in your own life or you, know, you can kind of apply that to any situation that you're walking through. But at the end of the day, with all of our schedules being jam-packed, we are exhausted. We don't have the physical energy to do anything extra or meaningful. We don't have the mental or emotional capacity to sit and listen with someone who's going through something difficult, or the spiritual capacity to pursue something that is messy, to pursue something that is painful, discouraging, confusing, maybe even experience gossip, draws out our biggest fears, and for some of us, scares us to death. But the thing that we won't pursue, the thing that is messy, I would argue will actually provide the most life for us and also has the ability for us to pour Christ into others. I say all of that not to discourage you this morning, but I actually say all of that to encourage you this morning that you aren't alone, that I'm not alone in this journey of figuring out how to develop and foster a healthy, deep, and vibrant spiritual community around you that knows you, that knows your biggest fears, that knows your biggest hang-ups, your biggest successes, your biggest joys, and everything in between. You know, my personality type is to try to live full of transparency and full of authenticity. So I'm gonna have one of those moments with you here this morning. You know, as, as a pastor, as a staff pastor at a local church, this is one of the biggest challenges that I face personally. Developing and finding true spiritual community inside and outside of Calvary. You know, no one could have ever fully prepared me for my first year of full-time ministry. No book, no podcast, no YouTube channel, no pastor, no leader. No one could have prepared me. It was one of the most isolating and difficult years of my life. You know, I I had to manage as, as a staff pastor the risk of allowing my schedule to rule my life and live in the urgent. I need to do this and I need to do that. This needs done, I need to say yes to this. Again, my personality by nature, I'm a people pleaser. I don't know if anybody's with me this morning, but as a people pleaser, I feel like I need to say yes to literally everything. And just a little insider tip, Sunday comes every week. It's a big thing that happens for us every single week. That there are things that happen throughout the week that has to happen on Sunday. And reflecting as I wrote this message and as I prepared this message on my own journey over these last year and a half, almost two years, is, is, is this, that I've sacrificed opportunities to develop a real deep rich and fulfilling community, and I missed out on the people, the moments, and the things that matter most. And I feel like I was sitting in the front row all by myself where I normally sit every Sunday morning, over there, with our sanctuary full of people and nobody knew who I truly was. But in that moment, or in those moments, I realized that God doesn't offer salvation and then say, go figure this out. Or God doesn't offer salvation and then say, here, go figure this out in isolation. God offers salvation, and scripture says that we are adopted into God's family of sons and daughters. By our nature, we are a part of a family, which again, by nature, is a part of a community. And maybe you're in a similar situation this morning, feeling isolated surrounded by so many people. Maybe you feel that no one truly knows you or knows who you are. Or maybe you have this sense of longing, like this deep sense of longing in your soul to experience community on a deeper, richer level. You know, for example, when you're sitting at home scrolling social media, whether that's two minutes, two hours, 30 minutes, whatever the case may be, and you have this kind of like low-grade hum in your soul, you know, like you're not satisfied, that is your soul telling you that what you're trying to feed it won't actually fulfill it. That you're trying to feed it with something that is temporary through social media as you continue to scroll. Can I encourage you this morning that I felt that longing, but if you also feel that longing, that if you feel that that deep sense of longing and you want to experience Christ in such a way that it challenges and changes the way you relate to people, the Spirit of God is carrying that longing to the throne room, that's a promise. That if you feel that sense this morning, like there's something bigger, there's something greater to this idea of community, God's Spirit is carrying it to His throne. You know, that longing, though, will require us to get involved with people that we might be tempted to avoid some weeks, some months, maybe even some years, or completely avoid altogether. Like you might have had a difficult conversation with that person, you might have went through something difficult with that individual, you might see things differently, but it's what God's called us to do, to engage with those around us. You know, getting along with uh, my fellow coffee lovers, can I get an amen this morning with coffee? There we go, there's a few of you guys. Uh, Side note, Pastor Nick does not like coffee, he likes tea, which I think is kinda boring, but. (laughs) Side note, uh, I love coffee, I make coffee every morning. Uh, or someone who loves the same things that you do. is pretty easy, if, if I'm honest. Like, getting along with people that think the same way, that act the same way, that talk the same way, is pretty easy. But then on the flip side, offering spiritual community to hard to enjoy relatives or friends isn't that easy. It's pretty difficult. You know, in thinking about this deep sense of, of longing, I'm reminded of my own marriage. Uh, my wife and I just celebrated our two year anniversary this past week and within the, the two years that we've been married, there have been moments in our marriage where I've had that deep sense of, of longing. Not in a bad way, but I wanna push through this stuff and get to the heart of the matter. I wanna push through the messiness of my marriage and experience a gospel-centered marriage. It's pretty difficult having two become one. That's two becoming one in legitimately everything. It can be sometimes painful. I wanna push through the pain of doing life together and experience deep, rich, upper room passions that we've been talking about this entire month. I wanna push through the brokenness of others and have a gospel-centered community. Is anyone with me this morning in that longing? Like you think that there is something deeper, that there is something greater, that there is something more in store to this thing that we call spiritual community. You know, this makes me think of what we read a little bit earlier. The 3,000 plus that were added to the early church in the book of Acts had to push through some stuff. They had to push through some mess. They had to push through some things that weren't perfect, but at the end of the day, they they knew the risk. And I'm gonna read those verses again to you this morning. Acts chapter two, verses 42 through 47 says this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. In awe came upon every soul You know, again, those 3,000 people right before this that were added to the early church after Peter gave his sermon at Pentecost, I'm sure that there were people who didn't get along with each other, that there were people, I'm sure, that didn't agree with each other even throughout the start of the early church. I'm sure that those people, they had schedules and lives and livelihoods and work pre-peter's sermon at Pentecost And I'm sure their lives were hectic just as much as ours are today in 2023. You see, that's the issue with bringing 30 people, 300 people, let alone 3,000 people together and saying, here, figure this out. You know, let's get 3,000 people plus together in, in one space, have one mission, have one vision, have one goal with all their personalities, all their gifts, all their thoughts, all their opinions, all their backgrounds. That list can go on. You know, community is is messy. The early church was messy. Community is disappointing. The early church, I'm sure at times, was disappointing. Community can cripple some. Community can be full of gossip and slander. Community can cause excruciating agony of the soul. There's five words here that I want you to hear. But despite all of that, it'll be worth the risk when we see Jesus in each other. That's my main idea this morning, that thinking through and just processing spiritual community is that being a part of a spiritual community, that it'll be worth the risk when we see Jesus in each other. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, says this, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. There's a quote by C.S. Lewis that kind of parallels the Great Commission, but also speaks to this idea of spiritual community being worth the risk. And it says this, he works on us in all sorts of ways, but above all, he works on us through each other. Men are mirrors or carriers of Christ to other men. Usually it is those who know him that bring him to others. That is why the church, the whole body of Christians showing him to one another is so important. It is so easy to think that the church has a lot of different objects, education, buildings, missions, holding services. The church exists for no other purpose but to draw men into Christ, to make them little Christs. If they are not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. It is even doubtful, you know, whether the whole universe was created for any other purpose. I absolutely love that quote. That's a pretty lengthy quote by C.S. Lewis, but I think, again, it speaks to this idea that spiritual community is worth the risk because we have the ability to show each other Christ and be shown Christ from others, period. You know, when we have been given a difficult diagnosis of a terminal illness, a loved one passed away, we can't seem to find a perfect someone, a job falls through that we were expecting to receive, our financial situation takes an unexpected turn and now we can't pay our bills or can't provide for ourselves or our families. You know, in those moments, you've probably prayed or or, or we've collectively prayed and we've prayed, and we've prayed, and we've prayed, and we've believed God to heal that individual, to take away that illness, to bring someone into our life or provide that job, and it turns out the complete opposite of what we prayed for. In those moments, for some, that can rock us to our core. You know, those are moments where some of us might retreat from life and say, I just can't anymore. I've never signed up for this life, or I've never signed up to experience this, or I've never signed up to experience that, or God, I thought X was the outcome, or God, I thought Y was the outcome. Maybe those are moments where you would rather curl up in a ball on the couch and not deal with life anymore. And maybe this morning you're in one of those moments right now. I wholeheartedly believe that in those moments, that's what spiritual community is for having mature believers in your life to draw out those upper room passions and desires in each other that we've been talking about this entire month. The passion to obey, the passion to grow, the passion to worship. All of those passions that we can draw out of each other. We can encourage each other in God's word. We can encourage each other in worship. We can encourage each other in obedience. We can encourage each other in community. We can show each other the gospel, and in doing that, we also in turn get to experience the gospel in a fresh, new way. Galatians 6, 1 through 2 says this. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. You know, when I look at the early church, and read those verses. I noticed that the church wasn't solely focused on the spiritual health or the spiritual needs of the early believers, but they also had a focus on the practical needs of the early believers, the financial needs, meeting not just spiritual but other needs as well. And you know, me sitting up here on this chair or on this platform this morning, just talking about spiritual community can be pretty easy, or it's easier said than done. But looking at the early church, I believe that those five verses show us a picture of how to practically be a part of a spiritual community and how to have a healthy spiritual community that I wanted to share with you this morning. And the very first one that I've noticed in that is this, that a desire to know Christ. That a spiritual community has to have a desire to know Christ. You know, Acts chapter 2 verse 42 starts with the word and And when I see the word and at the beginning of a sentence, I usually want to know why that word is there and what comes before that word and. Verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Well, what did the apostles teach? That's a great question and a question that you should ask yourself when you open God's word. Well, look at what Peter taught in in his Pentecost sermon. He taught Jesus. He taught who he was. He taught what he did. He taught what it means. He taught how he was the great and final revelation of God and God's will and God's salvation. Just as I read a few minutes ago, when Jesus left this earth, he said to the apostles, go into the world and make disciples, teaching them that all I have commanded you. That's what the early church was doing after Pentecost. And just as the 3,000 plus followers were in the early church, there has to be a desire and a commitment to grow as a follower of Christ. You know, as we think about community, this starts with a commitment to grow in the knowledge of God with spiritual growth coming from the application of this knowledge. Acts chapter two, verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, Acts two forty-six. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. In verse 46, there's implied teaching there that they attended the temple together, they attempt, They attended together being taught something. There's implied teaching in verse 46. Acts chapter four, verse 33, with great power, the apostles continue to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. A desire to grow, to grow spiritually must be present in a spiritual community as the starting point of a spiritual community. Without it, you're just hanging out. You're no different than any other group of people that gather. It might be a little harsh, but being a part of a spiritual community, you have to have first and foremost a desire to know Christ on a deeper level. Number two is fellowship. Number two is fellowship. You know, if you look at these five verses in the book of Acts, you might understand that fellowship has two aspects to it as you read or understand the word fellowship, I just wanna talk to you about those two aspects. Number one is, is proximity, is proximity. Literally being together. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. They devoted themselves to the fellowship because they knew how important it was. And again, God never saves us to wander off by ourselves and to do life alone. You have to be in proximity with other believers You know, and practically speaking, maybe you've experienced this. Maybe you have a childhood friend or a best friend that you have currently or maybe had for generations. And through life circumstances or through things happening that that friend or you moved away from each other and you weren't in close proximity anymore, your relationship, your your dynamics, your conversations, they've changed. You know, and again, for my own life with my own marriage, I have to be in close proximity to my wife to better understand her, to love her, to serve her, to know her, to care for her. And the same rings true in your life, with your friendships, with your relationship, with your community. You need to be in close proximity to them, to know them, to serve them, to care for them, and to love them. And the second piece of of fellowship is frequency, being together often. Verse 46, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they receive their food with glad and generous hearts. And again, the believers met day by day. It was more than just gathering or or getting together. It was a partnership for the purposes of the church and a sharing with the Father and His Son. Fellowship can't happen unless we're hanging out, doing life together, and doing it frequently. Just a question to propose to you this morning as as a question that I've also thought through on my own journey is this. Is it enough to just meet with people on Sunday mornings for an hour or an hour and a half and expect to develop a true spiritual community? Is that enough time in your week, whenever we talked about it before, as your schedule gets hectic throughout the week? Is it enough for you to have an hour or an hour and a half on Sunday mornings to develop a true spiritual community? You know, one of the rhythms that, that I've tried to adopt in my own personal life is to meet with one of my friends every week, so one friend a week. You know, that's for a coffee, lunch, whatever the case may be, whether it's a phone call, a long strand of, of texts. Your community doesn't need to be 30, doesn't need to be 20, doesn't need to be 10. It can be three, it can be five. It can be whatever you are comfortable with having a part of your spiritual community. And for me, I have four. I have four people that I would call my spiritual community, you know, and it's not easy developing that spiritual community. It's gonna be messy. I have my own thoughts about things. That person has their own thoughts about things. They have their own opinions. I have my own opinions. I have my own background in, in history, my upbringing, and, and they have the same as well. But we collectively have made a choice that we want to be uncomfortable because we, we know the risk of it, that we can see Jesus in each other. And as the worship team would come this morning, the last thing that we see in the early church. So we have a desire to know Christ. The second is fellowship, and the last one. This is my favorite, I'm a little biased, but it's sharing meals together, sharing meals together. Acts 2 42 says this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Verse 46, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. You know, some scholars, and those two verses would argue that the breaking of bread is just speaking of communion. On the other side, some scholars would also argue that it's communion and sharing meals together. Uh, I would argue and I would believe that it's both, communion and sharing meals together. You know, if, if we are to model our lives after Jesus, just look at Jesus' ministry. He was constantly reclining at table with those who were difficult to get along with. The sinners, the tax collectors, the people that would, that culture would despise. And I would also argue that our current culture would also despise. But Jesus sat with them and he knew the risk of being in that community. You know, I've made this statement before on this platform, and it's this that the gospel is Jesus eating good food with bad people. Is Jesus eating good food with bad people? You know, Eating food, you're usually gathering around a table, usually in chairs or stools like I'm in this morning. And this statement is true. You can't know someone if you don't sit with them. That You can't know someone if you don't sit with them. And something that I'm trying to develop currently for my own spiritual community is something that I've heard this past week. These are not my questions, just wanna preface but I think this is so rich. I think it's it's biblical. I think there's such health and vibrancy in in these three questions around food. In the three questions this morning, that if you are part of a spiritual community to ask your spiritual community, it doesn't need to be straight out, forthright, these questions, but along the lines of these, the first question is this, is, is how are you feeding your spirit? How are you feeding your spirit? In essence, what are you reading? What are you listening to, whether that's a podcast, an, an audiobook, What are you watching, whether that's a YouTube video, whether that's TV, whether that's movies? Something in culture is always feeding our spirit. But I'm gonna ask you, what are you feeding your spirit to be like point one, a desire to know, more, to know Christ more? The second question is, is how are you feeding others? How are you feeding others? in essence is what are you sharing with others that is encouraging them in their personal walk with Jesus? What we've been talking about this, this entire month is how are you helping others reach those upper room passions? How are you feeding others? And lastly, this might be a little awkward, it's awkward for me, but how are you feeding your flesh? In essence, confessing your sins. That's a pretty weighty statement, confessing your sins. But how did you feed your flesh this week? You know, for me, for an example, it could have been I spent too much money or I didn't stick to our budget, I didn't serve or love my wife in the way that I should have this past week. Whatever the case may be, if you confess that to your spiritual community, there will be health, there will be vibrancy, there will be a gospel-centered community. You know, and when I think of those three things, a desire to know Christ, fellowship, and sharing meals, together. The early church wasn't perfect in in every sense but they had those three things down pat and they also knew the risk and they knew the truth that it'll be worth the risk when they see Jesus in each other. You know, and this idea of of risk, I I don't just want to speak of it from an emotional or a, a mental standpoint, I also want to speak of it from an actual physical standpoint. The disciples and the early church leaders They had a legitimate risk of being a part of this community. You know, the same Roman Empire that crucified Jesus or had Jesus crucified was also hunting them down. They legitimately had a fear for their lives at some points. You know, their livelihoods pre-Jesus, they couldn't go back to that. Saul of Tarsus, who later became the Apostle Paul, before he became the Apostle Paul, would also do that. He would hunt he would imprison, he would sometimes kill people of the way or following Jesus. Like they had a legitimate risk of being a part of this spiritual community. And at the end of the day, they, they risked their lives. You can study church history. The, the disciples, all of them were martyred to some extent. Andrew was crucified. Paul and Peter were both martyred around 66 AD. Paul was beheaded and Peter was crucified upside down. Peter didn't even want to be crucified like Jesus. He wanted to be crucified upside down. Thomas was pierced by spears. James, the son of Zebedee, was executed. And you can read the entire list of how the 12 disciples lost their lives. They risked their lives for the sake of the gospel and for for the sake of a spiritual community. And today, this might seem harsh, and I'm sorry if it does, but there is love in this statement that they risk their lives and most of us and some of us, we just risk being uncomfortable to not be a part of a spiritual community. We just risk being afraid of fill in that blank. We risk being known to be a part of a spiritual community. We risk being hurt. We risk missing our sporting events throughout the week. Like some might have it on their calendar for football season or hockey season or baseball season. We miss, or I'm sorry, we risk messing with the routines of our lives. I get that idea of routines. Again, we have a four month old, and routines are are vital currently in our particular season. But at what cost are we risking those things and not furthering the gospel and not furthering spiritual community? I have one last question this morning. What would it look like if we got this? What would it look like if we got living in a true spiritual community? What would it look like if we risked it? If we risked being uncomfortable, if we risked being in pain, if we risked being a part of the mess, if we risked being let down or hurt or whatever emotion you can put there, what if we risked it so that we can see Jesus in each other. I wanna ask a a silly question, is how many in the room this morning have two or more friends? You don't need to raise your hand, it can be a rhetorical question, but how many have two or more friends? Again, that might be a a silly kind of trite statement, but I ask that this morning because I want all of us to understand that we don't need to have 3,000 plus like the early church, over 100 like we're gathered here this morning, or even 10 people, to experience true spiritual community and help people see Jesus in each other. I encourage you this week that if you are a part of a spiritual community, to practice those three things, to get in the, in the rhythms or in, in the habits of being okay with the risk of the desire to know Christ more, Risking fellowship with others and then risking sharing meals together. And I know it's gonna be risky up, up front or at first, it's gonna be awkward. You know, you might think to yourself that I, I'm not good at small talk, I'm not good at conversations. You can literally just walk up to somebody you think is interesting and say, hey, would you like to grab a coffee? I think you're interesting. Would you like to grab lunch? I, I would love to get to know you more. And I promise you, as you start to do those practices, as you start to put those practices into place, just like the early church flipped the world upside down, I believe in 2023, we can flip the world upside down. Being a part of a spiritual community that is rich, that is deep, and that helps each other see Jesus in all of us. And I wanna put myself out on a limb. If you are not a part of a spiritual community, I'm gonna be in the foyer after service. I'll have my lanyard on, you can come find me. If you're okay with it, maybe we can grab lunch, we can, we can grab a coffee this week or the upcoming weeks. I would just encourage all of us to just reevaluate our own spiritual community because at the end of the day, this spiritual community that you are connected to, that you are a part of, is worth the risk. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for putting us all in, in community. God, putting us all a part of of people's lives, God, that that we can grow in our desire to to know you more, that we can fellowship and, and not just gather, God, but we can intentionally fellowship with others and that we can also collectively share meals together and have genuine conversations and help each other, God, experience you in a new, real, fresh way. God, it's just as your early church did that God that in 2023, we can flip the world upside down because of the gospel, because of your truth, because of your word. God, I ask this morning, God, if there are people that feel isolated, that, that feel kind of alone on an island this morning, God, I ask by your sovereignty, by your spirit, God, surround them with individuals and people that will be their community. God, that will come alongside of them just as your word says and bear their burdens of life, because the burdens can become heavy; it can they can become difficult. God, but I believe that you've called all of us to be a part of a spiritual community. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for your truth. God, we thank you for your promises. God, we ask that as we all collectively contemplate what was shared this morning, God, I ask that you challenge all of us in this idea of spiritual community. God, that you encourage us in spiritual community, and for some. God, maybe you convict us in spiritual community. God, we thank you for your grace. God, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.
0: This is Pastor Nick Pohl, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.